Well, good morning, church. And, of course, I do hope that you will take some time to invite people and join us next week for Easter. It's always an amazing day. Uh, we are going to be uh, moving on into Holy Week today as we, not only do we celebrate Palm Sunday, but um, I want to take a look at where it all ends up. Uh, Palm Sunday is the day in which they all celebrate and they rejoice and they say, save us, and they're all expecting Jesus to be a, a mighty king or a military force, and uh, things begin to change rapidly as we move through the week. And um, usually on Good Friday, we talk about the cross, and we may still do that on Friday, uh, but um, we're going to go ahead and cover that today because my experience with uh, churches is that if we were just to talk about Palm Sunday today, the next time that you hear from me would be on Easter Sunday, and you would miss out on quite a bit, and the most important piece of it would be the cross. And so I wanted to go ahead and cover that today. And um, as you know, the cross is where our story becomes so very different from every other story that we hear in the world today. Uh, most of the stories from other religions or other places are, in fact, ones in which the Savior, the hero, is victorious. And our story has a huge twist in it in that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ ends up upon the cross. And we don't always understand what all that means. If you ever want to uh, enrage a chat room full of preachers, just talk about the cross because they're going to go all over the place in terms of what the cross really means, and they will do their best to convince you that their way of understanding the cross is the superior one, and they will tell you that they have a way better internet connection in their, their mother's basement, and they're right. So, um, I'm kidding. I love you all. Um, but it's the truth. Uh, then, so, that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, and the cross is so, so important and so meaningful. If you have your Bibles, you're invited to turn to Luke chapter 24 or 23, and we will look at the story of the cross. Hear the word of our Lord. They also led two of other criminals to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothing. The people were standing, watch, uh, but the leaders sneered at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he really is the Christ, sent from God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you really are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above his head was a notice of the formal charge against him, it read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him, saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him, don't you fear God, seeing that you've also been sentenced to die? We are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me, when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. And when we look at the story, it is uh, so powerful and so amazing because way back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says the Son of Man, that's him, must go into Jerusalem, that he must suffer, he must be persecuted, and he must die. And on the third day he will rise again. 
And um, when he proclaims that to the disciples, uh, they don't really get it. They don't really understand it. They're kind of thinking, all right, if that's what you want to do, then have at it. And maybe they were still hoping that he would have a different turnout. But that is what he says will happen. And as the story continues, we find Luke telling us things and sharing with us and saying he is not only a great teacher, but he could work miracles. Uh, not only was he wise and smart, but he also had a way of helping and being compassionate to other people. And all along the way, Luke leads you all the way to this point, and then he begins to say, do you get it? Do you understand it? Do you see clearly that this isn't just a teacher? This isn't just a miracle worker. This isn't just uh, another hero. Instead, this is something more. And he shares with you the story of the cross. And he says, do you, do you really begin to grasp it? Do you really begin to understand what is going on here? And so when we get to this place, we're, we're invited to ask that question. Do we, do we get it? Do we understand it? Do we comprehend why the cross matters so much? Why is it the center of our worship? Why is it the, the most meaningful symbol that we have? And the cross, the, the symbol that we carry around on our necks or have on our cars or whatever it is, is a, a sign of public execution. I mean, it's like having an electric chair around your neck, right? I mean, that's what the cross symbolized in those days and those times. And yet, as Paul says, to those who are perishing, it's the foolishness of God. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. He's saying it, it matters so much. It, it transforms so much. So let's uh, look a little deep, deeper into it. If you imagine for just a moment, moment, um, what you think of when you think about a king's courtroom, how it looks. You know, there's uh, probably a large throne. There are people that serve him and help him. And yet when Jesus comes into this place, this time, it's a far different kind of courtroom for the king, the Messiah. It says, they also led two other criminals to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And you all know the term, your right-hand man for a king, that was going to be your most trusted advisor. The left-handed man was what? Their best warrior, the one that would protect them. And yet when Jesus comes to the cross, when he comes to his throne, uh, he is the, surrounded by thieves, one on his right, one on his left. And um, rather than a proclamation of, of punishment or judgment, Jesus' statement there in that courtroom is this. He says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothes. The people were standing around watching, but the leaders sneered at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he really is the Christ sent from God, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him. They came up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you really are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above his head was a notice of the formal charge against him. It read, this is the king of the Jews. And so it's a, a far different image than what we might expect if we read up to this point. And all of a sudden you find Jesus there upon the cross. Uh, beside him are these two thieves. And then in front of them are all these people who are snickering and sneering and insulting him and making fun of him. And when we read Bible studies stories, sometimes we try and put ourselves into the story and we say, where would we be? And there's not a great place. You're either a thief on the cross or you are in the crowd, cowering, afraid, ashamed, worried, pretending like you have no way that you can make a difference. 
I mean, that is what is in front of him. And Jesus says, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And then, as you get into the story, you have the words of the two thieves, the two people that are on his left and his right. It says the first one, it says, one of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And when we hear his words, they're words that we hear all the time, whether we know it or not. In essence, he's saying, if you're really a savior, if there's really something special about you, if you have all the power and all the wisdom and everything that you claim to have, then here's my plan. I want you to get me out of here. This is what the the thief says. He says, if you're all powerful, if you're almighty, if you can do everything they say you can, then get me out of here. And who can blame him? I mean, he's crucified. He's being crucified. It's the most excruciating kind of death you can imagine. He's saying, if you're there, if you can do everything that they say you can, then get me out of here. Don't we hear this all the time? Isn't that sometimes our prayer? God, if you're there, if you're all-powerful, then fix this relationship in my life. God, if you're there, if you're all-powerful, then help me get myself out of this corner that I've painted myself in. Or, or God, if you're there, if you can do all these great things, then help me accomplish my goals and my plans and the things that I want to see happen. And then if we don't get the response that we want, we, we get pretty bitter, we get pretty angry, and we basically tell God, well, you're not there. Or if you are there, then you're mean. I mean, that is so oftentimes the words that we hear. I think it's a lot of the reason why some people are put off by the cross or put off by the message of Christianity. They think if there is a God and God is all-powerful, then surely God would help them out of whatever jam that they're in, and it would cost them nothing. And then there's these amazing words by the other thief. The second thief has a different approach to Christ. He says, responding, the other criminals spoke harshly to him. Don't you fear God, seeing that you've also been sentenced to die? We are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man has done nothing. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. And do you hear his words? He says, don't you fear God, seeing that you've also been sentenced to die? He says, we are, we are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did, but this man has done nothing. And it's so refreshing because this person recognizes it, and he says, I'm part of the problem. I'm the reason that I'm here. Nobody else is to blame for my actions. I've done everything that I, um, they said that I did, and I'm being punished in a way that's somewhat fitting for what I've done. Do you see the difference in the approaches? I mean, one of them is basically telling Jesus that, you know, you need to get on board with what I have planned here and get me out of here. And then there's the other that says, I really don't have anything to offer you. I know what I've done. I know the mistakes that I have made. I know the sins that I've committed. And I belong where I'm at. And then some of the most beautiful words that we find in Scripture are are shared by Jesus. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. And usually when we hear those words, we think about 
This means that Jesus is saying, one day you're going to be with me in heaven, or later, in about 10 minutes, you're going to be with me in heaven. But really, the most important part of the passage is Jesus saying, you'll be with me. Jesus saying to him, you'll be with me. I mean, do you, do you understand what a significance that is? I mean, this is somebody who has made such huge mistakes. He's gotten to his place where he's being publicly executed. And yet Jesus says, you're with me. You're now part of me. You're going to be with me. It's such a huge, huge message that's there. Because once again, you know, we tend to think about how is salvation earned? How is salvation granted? How do we get on the inside of this? And Jesus responds to him. He says, because of what I am doing for you this day, what I am offering you this day, you're with me. You're part of what I'm doing, and you will be with me. It's so powerful and so beautiful what happens that day. And like I said, it's hard for us. I mean, it's so easy for me to put myself in the Bible story with the crowd because I don't always understand what the cross means. I remember very early on in my life talking with a pastor and uh, when I was in high school and I said to him, I said, why do we call it Good Friday if it's the day that Jesus died? Why do we call it Good Friday if this is the day that he gets executed and humiliated, scourged and beaten, and, and everything goes wrong for him? Why are we calling it Good Friday? I mean, you can understand my question. Why would we ever celebrate that day, right? Seems like if we were good Christians, we kind of shove that under the carpet and go, yeah, that happened, but Easter, you know? And he, he shared with me, of course, that it meant that Jesus had saved our lives by offering his life as a sacrifice for all. It's so beautiful to think about. I mean, the Bible is laced through and through with this understanding of sacrifice. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. Uh, you can talk about their sacrifices or Abraham and Isaac and uh, all the way through the Old Testament over and over again. They talk about what could we give right now? What could we offer right now that would mean something greater for us in the future? Thousands of sacrifices, thousands of offerings, all in the hopes that things would go better for future generations and for their life in the future. That they looked at it and they said, what can we offer now? What can we give over to God now in order to gain a better future for our, our people? And they perfect it, they work at it. They are thousands and thousands of years thousands and thousands of verses about how to offer sacrifice right, how to do it well, why it wasn't working correctly, et cetera, et cetera. It all is so important in the Old Testament. It's important to us today. Many of y'all look back on your life and you say, I, I sacrificed my time and my effort and everything that I had in order to put myself in a better position further down the road. Many of y'all are giving of your time and your money and your, your tears and your sweat in hopes that that small child that you held in the delivery room will one day grow up and be a part of a productive society, that they'll move out, that you'll no longer have to pay their phone bills, right? That you do all those things in hopes that future generations are going to prosper and to grow. 
And like I said, all through the Bible, they work this out. They say, what's the best way to do it? What would be the ultimate sacrifice? What would be the best possible scenario for us? And when you get to the cross, we find God answering the question and saying, I will give you my only son, my only son, my greatest gift for you, for your salvation. And in that, I want you to see something that will change the world. I want you to see the utter power of sacrificial love, of how that can change everything. That this is the way our world will change forevermore. That when you and I get a taste of that or see it and we say, he gave everything for us and for our salvation, that we are a people who are united with him in this understanding that our world will be changed by sacrificial love. That it's not an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, but rather it's turning the other cheek. It is not in us buying and owning and keeping, but rather asking the question of what can we give to others? How can we go the extra mile? How can we help those that are in need? How can we help those that are suffering? And we look back and we say, this is how our Savior said our world would change, by giving His life all that He has for His enemies, for the crowd, even when they don't understand it. How about you? What does the cross mean in your life? And like I said at the beginning of the sermon, I can, I can talk with you about all the theological implications of the cross and all those other things that are out there. But at the end of the day, the bottom line question is this. What does the cross mean for you right here, right now? You will know you understand it the moment you forgive somebody who has hurt you. You will know the power of the cross in that time in which you stand before a family member that did devastating things to your family and you look them in the eye and you say, I forgive you. I offer you my love even though you clearly could never earn it or deserve it. When you stand beside the coworker and you look them in the eye and you say, I don't understand everything that's going on in your life, but I, I am here to love you and care for you and help you through this time as well. You'll know you understand the cross when you stand beside somebody that has done nothing right their entire life and you say, God still believes in you. God still cares about you. And God has an amazing opportunity for your life to change now. And the cross is so meaningful in those times where we get in front of people that are hurting and suffering or who are ashamed or fearful, and we say to them, God loves you so much that he gave you his only son for your salvation. That is what it means. It's not something that we are just invited to think about, but something that we are invited to live out each and every moment of our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's not hard for us to relate to the crowd that day. We don't always understand exactly what happened that day on the cross. We don't have the words that can clearly explain what it means to be loved in the way that you loved us. 
And yet, Lord, we rejoice this day because it means that no matter what has happened in our life or what it is that we have done, you have invited us and called us and given your all for each of us. We pray and ask that you would help us to find ways in which the cross fills more and more of our lives so that we can show your love to the world around us. In Christ's name we pray.